0: Well, good morning. It's nice to uh, be with you all this morning. This past quarter, I have uh, been spending both hours in Sunday school classes, uh, the first hour trying to calm the neurotics of parents of teenagers, and uh, they sometimes get a little anxious about the life that they are going through. Maybe that's what makes their teenagers neurotic, is the parents are so excited and excited. Then during the second hour, I'm usually with a uh, high school class, spending time with a great bunch of uh, high school students that we have. So it's good on this day to be with you. And as I was sitting here this morning thinking, well, it was a year ago at this time. That wasn't the last time that I uh, taught before all of you, but I did have the pleasure of being uh, with you all at New Year's Day uh, last year. And Sunday was on New Year's Day for those of you who can remember back that far. And we talked about uh, uh, some realistic resolutions at that time uh, out of uh, the book of Ephesians. Um, I know this because I looked it up. (laughs) And uh, we were in Ephesians 4, and I just wanted to read that this morning to remind you to uh, spark your heart to see if God has been doing some of these things that we wanted him to do in our lives. In chapter 4, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And I hope that... uh, This past year has been one in which God has been working in your life in this way, that you have been seeking to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that he has called you and me, all of us, and that he has been uh, promoting developing humility and gentleness within you and patience and uh, forbearance and doing those things that would preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace uh, amongst us. I know he's been working in my life. Uh, He seems to always be working in the area of humility. Uh, With three little children, he works in the area of patience uh, a lot with me and showing uh, forbearance, being long-suffering and enduring. So I would uh, hope that you could look back and see, yes, God has been at work in my life in this past year. As I come to the end of a year... Uh, I tend to get just a little bit nostalgic and I think of all the good things, all the fun things that have taken place in the past 365 days. That's because I would prefer to forget all the bad things that take place during that same length of time, as I'm sure some of you uh, prefer that as well. But if it is a bad year, um, then I tend to think, well, gee, I can really look forward to the new year. I can forget about what took place in the past, and I get very excited about uh, the upcoming year, and I feel as though the end of the year is like a chronological hinge for me, and I don't know how many of you perhaps saw the uh, animation on TV of how the Grinch stole Christmas, that great uh, Dr. Seuss story, but we recorded it at our house, and it is played regularly. I saw it yesterday. Um <laughs> And there's a scene at the end that I uh, love that uh, relates to my feeling like I'm on a hinge when the Grinch has his sleigh full of tol- of stolen toys from Whoville. He's gone up the mountain to the pinnacle and his sleigh is up there on the pinnacle and it's teetering. It could fall forwards or backwards. It's just kind of hanging up there. And that's sometimes how I feel at the end of the year, that I'm on that pinnacle, um, I could go either way. I'm looking back a little bit. I'm looking forward, unsure about either place. But we all know that we have to look towards the future. We cannot live in the past or look back to the past because the future is inevitably going to come. There isn't anything we can do to, to slow it down. So we need to uh, look forward in that way. And uh, because of God's graciousness uh, in my life, the way he has effectively worked in my life, I can positively look forward to the new year, knowing uh, that he will work out in this new year things in my life just the way that he worked out the events in this past year. And perhaps some of you have looked at a year in retrospect to the events of January or February or March through the eyes of December, and you have found that what wasn't very clear in January or February, is now much clearer in December. The way that God is working out uh, his plan in your life. And for those of us who have a relationship with God, uh, there is a verse in the scriptures which uh, give us this truth that we can cling to and know that God is at work. And it comes in the midst of Paul's great theological treatise in the book of Romans. While Paul is desiring to plunge us into the depths of God's character, uh, he brings out this profound yet simple sentence uh, in verse, chapter 8, verse 28. He says that, "...I know and we know that God causes all things to work together for good, to those who love God, to those who are called uh, according to his purpose." The funny thing is, is that most, if not all of us, have heard this verse numerous times. Perhaps uh, we've even memorized it. I think it's on one of the Navigator cards, so it's probably one of the verses to memorize. And yet, sometimes those things that we memorize, uh, we tend to forget the richness. We lose the novel, and it becomes mundane, uh, because we forget to look at the details, the richness of the details, because we're so absorbed in catching the greater truth, the more obvious truth. And it's like sitting down to a meal, perhaps this Christmas, and looking at the whole meal and seeing that there are a lot of individual tastes that are to be enjoyed, and yet because of our voracious appetites and desire to eat all that's on that plate, uh, we pass over, we miss out on the enjoyment of all the different kinds of food that are there before us. And so this morning, what I'd like to do is lead you on a meditative journey uh, through this verse so that we might get a glimpse of the richness of the details and enjoy those details and the whole of the particular truth that Paul is teaching us about the sovereignty of God and how that sovereign God is working in our lives for good. Now, this verse is not uh, suspended uh, in... Mid air, without any accompanying parts around it, such as the lights above are just hanging there and there's air around them. Nor is this text to be seen in isolation uh, from the rest of the accompanying parts of Romans. The first eight chapters of Romans I see as Paul talking about the work of the gospel in our lives. Uh, Paul outlines our need for salvation. He talks about our way of justification, our life of sanctification, and then our ultimate glorification. And in chapter 8, Paul is talking about how the Holy Spirit is at work in each believer's life. And just prior to verse 28, he talks about how the Holy Spirit is there to help us in our prayer life. And just after 8.28, uh, Paul gives us God's view of our life, how God views us. As believers, and the way he is going to work uh, our lives out from beginning to end. And following this to the end of uh, chapter 8 is the conclusion, I believe, to the first 8 chapters, where Paul uh, brings everything into focus, saying that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And that's very comforting for me, not to know about this characteristic of God, but because of who I am. And that during the course of this past year, there is nothing that I have done that can separate me from the love of God. And I look at that and I say, how great God is, because I know who I am. And that's what makes it such a comforting section of the scriptures for me. So open up uh, your Bibles to Romans 8, if you haven't already, and we'll uh, jump in to this verse, 828 to take a look at the particular details so that we may enjoy them in the context of the uh, general truth. And there are four or five things in particular that I'd like to uh, look at and point out this morning. I better move from Ephesians to Romans or we'll be all mixed up. As Paul says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. The first detail I'd like for us to notice this morning are the people to whom Paul has made this address. It's not an unconditional promise to everybody, but he says to those who love God. Now, if we were to uh, pick up a Greek text and have any understanding of how it would come together... It would say something along this line. And we know that to those who love God, all things work together for good. And that Paul has emphasized the people to which he is addressing. To those who love God. And I believe that the New American Standard rightly puts in the idea that it is God who causes all those things to work together for good. If you have an NIV or some other translation, it may be stating this verse in a little bit different uh than it does in the new American standard. But the idea is that it is God who is behind all those things that work together for good. And who is he working for or on behalf? To those who love him. And unfortunately, you and I know that there are a lot of people in the world who really do not love God. And it saddens us and it greatly saddens God that those people exist. Not that they exist, but that they don't love him. And yet we also know that there are a great number of people who do love God. Those of us who are gathered here this morning, hopefully that we are in love with God, that we want to develop our relationship with Him. We know that to do that, we have to initiate the relationship by asking uh, Jesus to be Lord and Savior of our life and then choose to live uh, that righteous uh, lifestyle that God shows us in the Scriptures. And in that way... Um, We know that Paul is the one who is talking to us, and that we are in partnership with God. The ones who love God, that's our perspective, and then God's perspective is to those who are called according to his purpose. We really need to see ourselves as in partnership with God. We are hooked up with him, we are partners with him in life, and he is going to work with us in life as that partner. So cling to that, that it is those who love God, that God is working on on our behalf for our good. Then the second aspect of this verse uh, to note is the idea that God is working for good. Now, there are all kinds of philosophies by which we can live life. The Epicurean says, uh, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you don't know if you'll be around. So when it comes New Year's Eve... Have a good time. Live it up. Because you don't know what's going to take place on New Year's Day. And then you have the cynic who defies fate to do its worst. And this person is so caught up with the negative elements of life, they're a pessimistic person. And the negative elements overshadow the positive elements, and they see fate as just a cruel master. Then there is the cynic uh, individual, or the stoic individual. And this person... Uh, sets himself to do whatever is God's will or to be uh, used by God in whichever way God chooses to use this person. If it's for greater good, that's fine. If it's for suffering uh, and pain, well, that's fine too. He will resolutely set his face to take whatever comes his way by God. And then there are the humanists around us who say that, well, I will do whatever I enjoy doing because that's the right thing to do. You see, I am the center of life, and life revolves around me, so whatever is good for me, that is the greatest good. And we as Christians shake our heads and say, no, none of those are the proper way to look at life or to live life. For us as Christians, we know that the good in life is to work in concert with God to the glory of God. You see, that's why we're here is to grow up into maturity and to bring glory to God so that we might be a reflection of his glory to the people around us. And that <clears throat> that's because a Christian perspective is one of being spiritual as opposed to the material. And it's one of being uh, eternal as opposed to the temporal. And it involves good, Well, I should say it involves positive as well as negative aspects in life. God sees that in order for him to be glorified, it may involve the joyful things, the fun things, but it may also involve the hard things, the suffering things. And that's very hard for us to understand. You see, we live in an affluent society. And in this affluent society, we define good in terms of what feels good of what looks good, of what will meet my immediate need and bring me enjoyment. And that's not necessarily how God looks at good, if he looks at it that way at all. And what tends to be uh, the things that bring about suffering and pain, we denounce them as evil, as wrong, as uh, an injustice, inhumane, because they hurt us. And yet, really, the good in this verse that Paul is talking about is the good that draws us closer to God, that makes us more Christ-like, that brings about the advance of the kingdom of God. So that is the good that Paul is addressing. This last week, I came across this quote by Vernon Grounds that I thought I would share with you. And most of you uh, know who Vernon Grounds is. If we are exempt from disease, if our bodies are never stabbed by pain, if we always have money in our pockets or reserve in the bank, if we live in modern homes and enjoy the latest luxuries, if we can dress well and take long vacations at the seashore, that we consider good. Unfortunately, we find ourselves victimized by a materialistic civilization, and despite our Christian faith, we subtly equate comfort and goodness. In the same way we tend to equate success with goodness. Or yet again we tend to equate pleasure with goodness. And yet such equations are a million miles removed from Paul's basic teaching. And because of all these our false equations we have trouble with Romans 8:28. Our failure to grasp Paul's conception of the good changes what ought to be a soft pillow for our hearts into a hard problem for our heads. You see, neither I nor Vernon Grounds would say to have nice things, to have a house and furniture and a car and toys for kids are a bad thing at all. But it's where is our focus? What do we consider to be uh, the ultimate good in life? In 1812, William Carey was a missionary in India, with a few other men in, uh, I think, the town of uh, Surampur, and a fire uh, gutted out their building, where they worked and where they had all their materials stored. They were literally wiped out of years of translation work. All the paperwork, gone. All the materials, gone. The only thing that survived were the printing presses. (coughs) And he makes uh, this statement of the loss. The loss of manuscripts referred to included portions of nearly all his Indian scripture versions, all his Canary's New Testament, two large Old Testament books in Sanskrit, many pages of his Bengali dictionary, all of his Telugu grammar, and much of his Punjabi, and every vestige of his well-advanced dictionary of Sanskrit, the magnum opus of his linguistic life. And you say, well, so what? I mean, I don't care about Bengali dictionaries or Punjabi or you know, several other of these things. But to these men, these were the keys that opened up the doors of ministry for them, that allowed them to do the work that they felt God was calling them to do. And you say, how could good come out of that? Well, William Carey goes on to talk about how when the news of this reached back to the uh, British Christians of his day, they opened up their pocketbooks, they loosened their purse strings as never before, to become personally involved in the work of the Lord in India. So what looked like a total loss turned out from God's perspective to be a great gain because of what took place after that situation. So we need to look at things not from our own perspective or for the immediate time, but we need to give ourselves time for God to give us his perspective on what the good is that he's working out. The third aspect here is that all things work together. The idea is that God's plan is active and it's harmonious. You know, it's an unusual thing about our God. If you were go <clears throat> able to go to the door of his study, I don't think that you would ever find hanging on the outside of his door, gone skiing, gone shopping, uh, gone hunting, gone fishing, back tomorrow. See me then. No, God doesn't work that way. He's always at work on our behalf. He's always there, always available, always doing something involved with our lives. He's never off taking a vacation away from us. Paul in 2 Corinthians 2.14 states that, But thanks be to God who always leads us in his triumph in Christ Jesus. says that he is always leading us in his triumph. J. Oswald Sanders says that uh, the everyday events of life, whether tragedy or joyous, are the raw material by which God is weaving His great design of life. The tragedies and the joyous things are the raw material by which God is weaving His great design for life. And we never tend to think of our life in quite that specific detail. Yet God does. God thinks of our life in great detail. And we tend to look at our life sometimes as, as having very unrelated parts from one day to the next. But our life is not unrelated at all from one day to the next. Each activity, each moment is packed with potential, ...for developing our lives... ...for bringing about the good that God wants us to, to have... ...for bringing us closer to maturity with Him... ...for that good. Now, if you were to be ill... ...and need a prescription from the doctor... Uh, ...the doctor would write you out a prescription... ...you would go off to Thrifty or Smith's... ...or wherever you go to have your prescription fulfilled... ...and you would hand it over to the druggist. He would look at it... ...he would take it back into his room... He would start mixing things together and he would either come back with a bottle of liquid or some pills which would be for your benefit. And you would trustingly take those home and begin to take that medicine for your own improvement, to improve your health, to get better. But if the elements that he mixed together were taken individually or he mixed them out of proportion, it could cause great harm rather than bringing about your recovery. In the same way, that's what God is doing. He is mixing in just the right way, in just the right proportion, all the elements of our life to bring about this greater good, the good for you and me to become more godly, more Christ-like. For those of you who have a watch that uh, has an actual face on it other than a digital readout, If you were to take that face off, you'd find lots of little sprockets in there, and a couple of them that go in opposite directions. You know, one will move clockwise, and the other one's moving counterclockwise. They're moving in opposite directions, and yet they're working together with all the other elements in the watch to move the hands on the watch, so the watch will perform as it should. It will accurately give you the right time. And the watch was designed this way. And you say, well, that seems odd that two sprockets are moving in completely opposite directions, yet everything is working just fine. And that's somewhat how our life is. Those things that are going counterclockwise might be those elements in our life that cause us some pain, some suffering, some heartache. And then ones that are moving clockwise might be those things that are bringing us great joy. The good things that are easy to see how God is is bringing about good in our life. And yet God's working both of them together, around and around, so that we are just where he wants us to be in being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So we need to understand that the good here are that all things are being worked together. And that's the last element I'd like for us to look at, the idea of all things. Now, there are times in which theologians spend innumerable hours looking at a phrase like all things. And they scratch their heads and they say, all things. Now, does this all things mean all things, everything? Or does this all things mean some things, but not everything? Everything. And they will have great debates, and we'll have great debates on staff meetings on Wednesday mornings as to whether all things are all things. But I think in in this passage here where Paul is talking about all things, he is trying to be uh, inclusive. He's not making a generalization such as you or I might make. uh, Say if uh, the wife was to say, my husband never picks up his socks. When the husband would say, hey, I can remember at least two times this last year I picked up my socks. So that never would not be quite accurate. But here Paul is, is being all-inclusive when he says that all things in our lives as Christians are being worked together for good uh, to those who love God. <clears throat> last night I was uh, looking back through a chapter in Charles Coulson's book, Loving God, uh, one I'd been exposed to earlier. And it's a chapter about the Russian doctor. His name is uh, Boris Kornfeld. And Boris uh, was a Jew in Russia uh, who was a victim of Stalin's regime and sent off to a prison camp. We don't really know why. But while he was at that prison camp, uh, he met a Christian. And As a Jew, he wasn't real excited about Christians because of the Christianity he had seen in in Tsarist Russia, which was very anti-Semitic. But the flavor of this person's life began to rub off on Boris. He began to see what Christianity really was like. And as the time passed, Boris became a Christian. But the problem then was that he had to begin to change his behavior, Jesus so infected his life that the hate that he had for the uh, government, for the people in the prison, for the uh, guards in the prison, that all began to change. He had to see that he could no longer hate them. And if he was operating on them, he had to do it honestly and fairly. He couldn't leave loose sutures which would come apart and the person would die and no one would know. But as, as he was going through this transformation in his life, he realized that he needed to turn in an orderly for misconduct. And as he did that, he knew that he was probably signing his own death warrant. And from that time on, he could not go back to his own barracks to sleep because he feared that he may never wake up. So he would attempt to grab bits and pieces of sleep while he was working in the hospital. And in this newfound freedom that he had, he felt so strong from the freedom of Jesus Christ as opposed to the imprisonment of his surroundings, that he had to tell someone about this because the prisoner who had led him to the Lord had been transferred. And Boris felt, I've got to tell somebody else about this tremendous freedom that they can have while they're in this prison. And so at the right time, at the right opportunity, he had a patient who seemed destined to die. And so Boris spent time, as he was working medically on him, explaining uh, the gospel and who Jesus is and the freedom that he could have. And this was in the evening, and they were really not quite yet finished, but uh, they had to go their separate ways. And uh, the next morning, the patient woke up and hoped to hear more from Boris. But he didn't. All he heard was a scuttering of noise. And he found out that in the night, the orderly who Boris had uh, uh, turned in had come back to kill him and had succeeded. But the words that Boris gave to this man sunk in, and he responded to the gospel. And he became a Christian as a result, and he survived the camp. And he went on to give us many words, and that man was Alexander Solzhenitsyn. And we look at that and we say, well, we can see the good in what God did in the life of a man like Alexander Solzhenitsyn. But what about the good for the doctor? And I confess I don't understand. But remember, we're not talking about good in terms of creature comforts. We're talking about good in terms of God's perspective, of about advancing the kingdom of God, about bringing us to maturity. And we have to be willing to accept the fact that there are going to be times of suffering and emotional pain and physical pain for which we really don't understand. But the basis for that is that we can trust in the character of our God, that he causes all things to work together. For our good. And scripturally we can look at the examples of the life of Joseph. Who said in his own words. What you. To his brothers. He said what you meant for evil. My suffering of uh, the pit. Of uh, being sold into slavery. And when he was in Egypt he was in prison. He said what you meant for evil. God meant for good. But he couldn't see that until he was on the other side. Or what about Job. Job or Jonah, or the Apostle Peter, or the Apostle Paul, or the life of our Lord Jesus. There were good times and there were bad times, but God was at work through all of them, bringing about the good in each of them, drawing them closer to himself. And as we look at the rest of of that chapter, we see the illustration of God's character, of his goodness. And I just want to skim through it, to encourage your hearts this morning. In verse 32, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? See, I can trust God because God loves me. How do I know that? Because he gave his own son up for me, a sinner. And I have to, in turn, love God back. And when I love God back, that means I have to trust him even though I cannot discern everything that he does. Love has to trust, even though it cannot discern all that's going on. And farther down. But in all these things, verse 37, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creative thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. What an encouraging word and a way to begin looking at the new year. That as you face that new year, regardless of what takes place during that new year, we have the confidence of the character of God. A God who loves us and who wants to work good in our lives to conform us to the image of his son. And on the surface, I'll admit, I don't get real excited about it at times. I'm not excited about the suffering that I'm going to have to experience through this year that I don't even know about yet. But that's the truth of of God's Word and I need to adjust myself to accept that.
1: All right, David, why don't you come on up and lead us in a closing. Father, we just pray that you would uh, build into us the very simple, believing trust that what you do in our lives is ultimately for our good. Pray that you would make our faith strong in the times when we tend to weaken and buckle under the, the pressures that come. And when the trial gets to a point of being seemingly unbearable, help us to see at that point in time that you are choosing to use us in a way that is going to bring glory to Yourself, even though we cannot recognize the pattern that You're creating, that You're making. And just as bit has been shared here this morning, we, uh, we pray Your blessing upon each one, Every family represented those who are still enduring the struggle, that have not come through the time of of darkness. We pray that uh, in their relationship with you, they would be strong, that uh, you would not allow them to uh, stumble, that as they continue in their walk with you, that they would be used mightily by you as an example of the strength and the light that you provide, even though there is darkness around. So I pray, Lord, that uh, you would minister to every family. Give us renewed vision and hope as we look forward to the upcoming new year. Uh, allow us to be um, people Uh, characterized by faith and uh, we pray too that we would be active in demonstrating our trust and our faith in you so encourage each one of us we thank you for this time of sharing and the blessing that it is uh, to know how you have provided comfort we want to honor you and uh and bring glory to you in 1985. So we ask that as we yield ourselves to you, as we give our members up as instruments of righteousness, that you would fill us and control us and then uh, use us in the work of the ministry. Draw us all into a greater commitment to knowing you and to serving you, giving ourselves up for you. We pray that you would help us to resist building walls that uh, would prevent us from being vulnerable to those around that we might be able to love and to minister to. We ask, Lord, that your spirit would not allow something to come in between us and our relationship with you, anything that would prevent us from being all that you want us to be and from experiencing all the blessings that you have for us. So we entrust ourselves to you and all the ministries and pray that we shall begin to see you work in an even greater way than we've imagined before, that we might experience your hand of blessing upon this body and that every family represented will know the uh, the hand of, of, of love and uh, blessing and empowerment that comes from knowing you in a personal way as we reach out to neighbors and friends and those that we work with. Thank you for this time that we've been able to Share together today. We give ourselves to you. Bless each one now as we go. Use us in this upcoming week. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.